0: I, Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, send grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father to you, his beloved Church. As I have suffered in this body through physical pain, I can assure you that it does not compare to the eternal glory given through Jesus the Christ. You will have trouble and pain in this life, but take heart, dear ones. Jesus, the eternal King, reigns victorious, and your trials will not be in vain. As you walk out your days, may you leave the mark of love upon all you encounter, just as Christ has loved you. May your words be full of truth and grace, and your hearts overflowing in unwavering commitment and passion for the one who is worthy. Despise evil. Do not invite the enemy to be at ease in your heart and mind. By clinging to what is good and pursuing peace, you will leave no room for his deceptive ways. Do not forget your position in Christ, co-sufferers, co conquerors and joint heirs. Repair whatever is broken among you. Live continually in peace, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One, be flowing in your spirit. Until we meet... Paul.
1: Good morning, church family. How are we doing today? Come on. How about those Buffalo Bills, y'all? Let's go, Buffalo. Woo! If you guys don't follow me on social media, then maybe you missed the fact that I had the opportunity to be in Los Angeles for the season opener and watch our Bills stomp the defending Super Bowl champs, the Los Angeles Rams. It was an amazing experience, an awesome game, and a couple days before I left for LA, I had to buy my very first official NFL jersey and represent my team. Come on, y'all. An exciting start to the kickoff of the 2022 season, and congratulations to all the players and coaches uh, for an impressive win. Excited for what's to come, but listen, even more, than, uh, even more excited than I am about the promising future of the Buffalo Bills, and the game that we got to just experience. I am excited to be in God's house with my church family, worshiping the risen King, because this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Amen? Awesome. I'm excited to be here. Listen, if you're new with us, my name is Pete. I serve as the lead pastor, and on behalf of my wife, our staff, and all of our Dream Team members, We just want to say how grateful we are that you are here with us today. Uh, And our hope and our prayer is that what you have experienced, what you have felt in your time with us has left you with a taste that you want to come back and experience more. Our prayer is that you would experience the presence of Jesus and want to come back and be a part of the family that he is growing and building here at Life Church Buffalo. To those of you tuning in online, welcome. It's great to have you with us today. Before I dive into the message on our series on Paul, I wanted to give you one more quick announcement. I wanted to invite you to a service we've got coming up in a week and a half. You know, several weeks ago, I mentioned to you in a message that we were going to have a guest speaker coming. And one of the things that I have been uh, particularly convicted about, I've been feeling impressed by the Holy Spirit, to expose you guys to different voices of different leaders within the body of Christ. The Apostle Paul actually writes in Ephesians chapter 4 that Jesus gifted the church with some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers to equip God's people for works of service so that we can all be built up and reach maturity in the faith. Here's the thing I can't be all five of those things. My primary gifting is that of a teacher and as a pastor, but I want to, I feel like the Lord wants me to expose you guys to different voices of leaders in the body of Christ that, that fill some of those different leadership functions. And so on Wednesday, September 21st, we're gonna be having Clem Ferris come. Clem has a strong teaching gifting, but he also operates in the prophetic. And he has a long-standing relationship with our church. Those of you that have been around uh, since the early days of our church uh, might be familiar with him. Those of you that are newer may not. But Clem is a trusted voice in the church. In fact, he has spoken some very accurate and timely words to my wife and I that have largely kind of shaped the trajectory of our life and some of the decisions that we've made. And, and I want to encourage you and invite you to come to be a part of this special service that we're having. There's going to be a time of worship, some teaching where Clem is going to teach us what the purpose of prophecy is in the New Testament church, as well as he's going to do some prophetic ministry. And so it's going to be a great night. And I look forward to being there with all of you to see what God wants to deposit in your life and in our church. But today, we are in part number five of the series on Paul. And in case you've missed any of the past few weeks, uh, in week one, we looked at his conversion experience. And what he was like before he met Christ and how drastically he was changed after he met Christ. And from that, we learned that every saint has a past and every sinner has a future. Then in week two, we looked at the time that he spent, the three years he spent in Arabia, uh, because there is always a time of private preparation before a public promotion. God needs to prepare some things in us and develop our character uh, before we step into the public ministry that God has for us. In week three, we looked at a common theme that appears in many of Paul's letters to the churches that he would write. Paul wrote 13 of the books of the New Testament, and one of those themes is that God has graced us where he's placed us to be connected, committed, contributing members of his body. We together as believers in Jesus are part of the body of Christ, and God has graced each one of us with certain gifts that are meant to be used where he's placed us in the local church so that we can be connected, committed, and contributing to the health and growth and functionality of the body of Christ. Last week, we heard a great message from Pastor Lauren on grace. How many of you were here last week? Were you blessed by that message? Thank you, Pastor Lauren, for such an incredible word. I've heard from many of you about how that message has helped you and encouraged you. Today, though, in part five, I want to preach a message that has something in it for all of us, but was really inspired by a burden that I felt early in the week to talk to those of you, to those of our high school students and college students who've just recently gone back to school. I know our high school students started this week. Our college students have been back for several weeks. I want to talk to you today about the friends that Paul had in his life. Paul did a lot of amazing things over the course of his life, but he didn't do them alone. He had a lot of friends who helped him along the way. And I hope y'all know that no matter what your call is or no matter what God has called you to do in your life, you're not going to be able to do what he's called you to do by yourself. You're going to need some some people, some friends that will help encourage you along the way. Cuz here's the thing, we all have different vocations. We all do something different for a living. I'm a pastor. Some of you are school teachers. Some of you are mechanics. Some of you are attorneys. Some of you are still in school. I don't know what you do for a living. Maybe you're a football player, but here's the thing. No matter what your vocation is, if you're a follower of Jesus, we all have a common calling, and our calling is to glorify Jesus with our lives. Our calling is to use the gifts and talents he has given us to bring glory and honor to him, not to make ourselves great. It doesn't matter, it's not about how much money you make, it's not, about, it's not about how famous you get, it's not about what kind of car you drive or what kind of house you live in, is did you use what God gave you to bring glory to him? Or did you just use it to make yourself great, to make a name for yourself? Here's the thing, if you're going to live the call of God on your life, you've gotta break up with the need to be liked by everyone. Because there is... There are going to be crowds of people that you will meet over the course of your life that want to kill the call of God on your life. That wanna discourage you, that wanna disqualify you, that wanna shut you down and shut you up and tell you that you're not qualified, that you don't have a purpose, that you don't have a potential. But if there's anything that we can learn from the life of Paul, it's that, it's that he was constantly facing resistance. There were always people that were trying to stop him from spreading the message of Jesus. But here's the thing. What the people that were trying to stop Paul didn't know was that he had already dealt with that part of his personality that needed to be liked by everyone. He says it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. Christ now lives in me. This life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, so guess what? You can't hurt me because I'm a dead man. And you can't hurt a dead person. I've already died to to my flesh, to my will, to my way, to my wants, to my need to be liked by everyone. If you're going to fulfill the call of God on your life, then you've got to crucify that part of you that wants to be liked by everyone, that needs to be liked by the crowd. He puts it like this in his letter to the Philippians. He says, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's like, it doesn't matter what happens to me. Because if I live, I get to fulfill the call of God on my life. And if I die, I get to be with Jesus. So either way, I win. It's a win-win situation. He says it like this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. He says, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. My only aim is to finish the race. And complete the task that Jesus gave me. What is your aim in life? Is it to make a name for yourself? Is it to carve out a nice comfortable existence and make as much money as you can? Or is the aim of your life to use everything that God has given you to finish the works that he's planned in advance for you to do? See, as determined as Paul was to destroy the church before he met Christ and he was determined he was equally determined to fulfill the call of God on his life after he met Christ you see God redeemed even that part of Paul's personality that we see in him before he met Christ he had a bullheaded determination to to stamp out the church. But when he met Christ, God redeemed that part of his personality and used it for his purposes and his glory. And Paul would use that same bullheaded determination to accomplish everything that God had purposed for him to do in traveling the world, planting churches, and you know, preaching the gospel. It is impossible for us to overstate the impact of Paul's life. Paul's calling was unstoppable, and God wants your calling to be unstoppable so that no matter where you are, if you're on your high school or college campus, if you're at work, if you're in the grocery store, if you're at the gas station, if you're on the football field, if you step into any environment, hostile or not, there's not a crowd that can stop the call of God on your life because for you, like Paul, to live is Christ and to die is gain. That's what I hope and pray for you anyways, that that would be the aim of your life, to fulfill the purposes of God in your life, no matter what you do for a living. We can't overstate the impact of Paul's life. How many many people were, were waiting for Paul to step into his calling? They didn't know they were waiting, but the number of people that have been impacted by his life is astounding. But let me flip the question and ask you, how many people are waiting for you to step into your calling. There are are many people on the other side of your obedience waiting for you to die to the need to be liked by everyone and step into the plans and purposes that God has for your life. How many people are waiting for you to step into that? Today I want to start in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to go through several chapters in the middle of the book of Acts that highlights Different stories and different scenarios that that show us some of the people, some of the friends that Paul had that helped him fulfill the purposes of God in his life. And so a couple of weeks ago, we, we looked at how he met Christ, then spent three years in Arabia. And right after that three-year span in Arabia, where God was preparing him, it says he went back to Jerusalem to get acquainted with the apostles. And that's where we're gonna pick it up. Acts 9:26. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, he tried to join the church but they were all afraid of him, not really believing that he was a disciple. Now, on one hand, I can sort of understand their their tentativeness, their, their skepticism of Paul because he had a reputation. He was known for being somebody who hated Christians. He was persecuting the church, dragging people off to prison. So on one hand, I understand them not really wanting to believe that he was really a disciple. But on the other hand, isn't it a little sad that So many in the Christian community, and I'm grateful that it's not really this church. I hope it's not this church, but isn't it sad that so many in the Christian community kind of err on the side of suspicion of people instead of erring on the side of believing in people? It's like a lot of us are so like just skeptical and judgmental. We just look back and we're like, yeah, I'm not really sure she's changed all that much. I I don't think he's got his act together. I think he's still addicted to some stuff who died and made you God? Like, why don't we stop erring on the side of suspicion and start erring on the side of actually believing in people? What if we we started giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of assuming the worst in people? What if we started erring on the side of encouragement instead of erring on the side of suspicion and disguising it as discernment? Well, I just discern that there's some things wrong with people in the church today. Why don't you stop discerning that everybody's messed up and start discerning that God has called you to be their encourager? How about that? Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth except that which is useful for building other people up. Stepping on some toes here this morning. That's all right. Paul did too. Jesus did too. So I guess I'm in good company. I love what the next verse says. (laughs) So they don't believe that he's really a disciple. But in the next verse, it says, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And Barnabas told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. And as a result, Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly, in the name of the Lord. Man, I'm so thankful for the Barnabases in life. See, Paul was called by God to preach the gospel to the Gentiles, and Paul wanted to preach the gospel, but he couldn't even join the church. People didn't believe he was really a disciple until Barnabas vouched for him. Barnabas, who's first mentioned a few chapters earlier in Acts chapter four, and whose name actually means son of encouragement, put his own reputation on the line to get people to hear Paul out. See, Barnabas was an apostle, so people trusted Barnabas. They listened to Barnabas, and so Barnabas was like, you know what? I'm going to use my name and my reputation to open the door for the next guy. He vouched for him to the other apostles. He, he endorsed his leadership to the other leaders in the church. It's like a, a book endorsement. You know, when there's an aspiring author that, that wants to put a book out but doesn't yet have the name recognition, a lot of times what they'll try to do is to get a more established, more well-known author to endorse their book, to write something about the book that they put on the back cover or the inside jacket of the book in hopes that this author's popularity and they've sold a lot of books will open some doors for them that they couldn't open for themselves. And I'm grateful for people like Pastor Craig and others in my life who endorsed me in my leadership when I was younger and before I was known by anybody. I'm thankful for the Barnabases. There's two types of people in your life. There's going to be people that build you up and encourage you. There's going to be other people that tear you down and criticize you. I really hope that you have people in your life who are the first camp, people who build you up and encourage you. And listen, I really hope that you're the type of person that is always building others up and encouraging others not tearing them down. I hope you're somebody who is always speaking life into others and championing people and seeing the potential in them saying, man, you've got what it takes. I believe in you. The best is yet to come. Because we got too many people in the world that that are are criticizing and tearing people down. We don't need Christians being added to that mix, pointing out people's faults and failures saying, man, you've made too many mistakes. You just need to sit down and be quiet. No, 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 let's be believers in people. Let's be champions of people. Let's be ones who who see the potential in others and call it out of them. That's what the church should be. We need to be encouragers. That's what Barnabas was. While other people were kind of suspicious of Paul, Barnabas was like, no, 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 he's got a call on his life. He's gonna preach the gospel. He's gonna do great things for the kingdom of God and I vouch for him. And this isn't the only time that Barnabas did this for Paul. A few verses later in Acts chapter 9 we see that there is a there's a threat on Paul's life. Somebody wants to kill him and so they send him away to Tarsus. And Tarsus is where Saul who would eventually become called Paul uh, was from. He was born and raised in Tarsus and so they send him to Tarsus where he lives and preaches for the next eight years. And it's interesting to me that God brought Paul full circle to the place that he had originally grown up. Before he went on any serious missionary travels, he had to go home and face his family. He got to show the people who knew him one way growing up and show them how how much Jesus had changed his life and tell them about the grace of God and how real Jesus is. And I think that there's some people here in the room today or maybe watching online that, that God is bringing you back full circle to the place and to the people that knew you when you first grew up full circle back to the people who knew you before you met Christ. And you're gonna have the opportunity to tell them, but look at what God has done in my life and tell them about how real Jesus is. God's bringing some of you back full circle to the people that hurt you and betrayed you 20 years ago. And you're gonna be able to extend grace and forgiveness and say, look at what God has done. So while he was in Tarsus, he's living there for eight years, A revival breaks out in a city called Antioch, which is in modern-day Turkey. And in Acts chapter 11, verse 22, news of this revival reaches the church in Jerusalem. And so the leaders at the church in Jerusalem send Barnabas to Antioch to go check it out. When Barnabas arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them because that's who Barnabas was. He was an encourager, son of encouragement. He encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Verse 25, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, and for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch some commentators describe Barnabas as the man with the biggest heart in the church, in the early church. Here he's described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. And clearly Barnabas had done some work on his own ego, because when a great number of people were brought to the Lord, his instinct wasn't to step into the spotlight and be like, I'm the man, I'm going to lead this great revival. His instinct was, I got to go get Paul, Paul's got a a call on his life, and he can preach the gospel. And so he goes to Tarsus and gets Paul and brings him back and builds a platform upon which the younger, less trusted man could thrive. Barnabas mentored Paul, gave him opportunities, and together for a whole year they taught the multitudes. Barnabas's ceiling became Paul's floor. And the private choices that Barnabas made in Antioch would make it possible for the the mission of God to expand exponentially throughout the known world. Think about the billions and billions of people whose lives have been impacted by the life and writings of the Apostle Paul, who would launch all of his future missionary journeys from Antioch. And it was all made possible because Barnabas believed in him before anybody else did. And I think one of the things we can learn from that is we need to choose friends who will believe in you before anybody else does. And I hope you're the type of friend that will believe in others before anybody else does. You know, it's easy to believe in people when they're already succeeding. It's not as easy to believe in people who haven't yet had an opportunity to prove themselves. There are people in your life who are waiting for you to believe in them, waiting for one word of affirmation, waiting for you to say, man, I believe in you. You got what it takes. I see potential in you. They're waiting. I'm so thankful for the Barnabases in my life who believed in me when I was growing up, when I was screwing up and making mistakes. They didn't disqualify me. They're like, Pete, you're better than that. There's a call of God on your life. And they called me higher. Do you have people like that in your life? Choose friends who will believe in you before anybody else does. We need to champion the potential inside of people. Many of you in this church, especially those of you who have been around since the early years, have believed in me as I've been growing into the person that God has called me to believe, to be. I'm not who I once was and who I am today is not who I'm going to be in five years. God is still developing me in the same way that he is developing many of you. I believe in you. I believe in you. I want to be a Barnabas in your life. Turn to the person next to you and say, I believe in you. God's got a plan for your life. You got what it takes. We need to be champions of people. We need to be Barnabases in other people's lives because Barnabas unlocked Paul's potential. Find friends that will unlock your potential and be the kind of friend that unlocks other people's potential. God wants us to be like Barnabases. And what Barnabas did for Paul, Paul would eventually do for, for Timothy and Philemon and Titus and so many others. In fact, when you read All of the letters that Paul wrote of the 13 books he wrote in the New Testament, he's always giving these shout-outs to people, just kind of calling out their accomplishments or the the purpose or the the help that they gave him as he would go on his missionary journeys. Like in in Philippians chapter 2, where he says, it's necessary to send Epaphroditus to you, my brother, my co-worker, and fellow soldier in Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, he says, you learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who was a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf. He was always giving these shout-outs to people because Paul had a lot of friends who not only believed in him, but helped him along the way, and he never forgot it. Listen, people will never forget when you champion them, when you come alongside of them, when you encourage them, when you help them. Barnabas was one of the people that empowered Paul to reach his potential. And the second thing I want to encourage you with today is to choose friends who will empower you to reach your potential and to be the kind of friend that empowers others to reach their potential. We don't realize the power that our encouragement can have in someone's life who is really struggling to believe that God can actually use them to make a difference. We've got to stop being people who only see the faults and failures in others, and always calling those out. And instead, be the kind of people that see the potential in others and encourage them, and champion them, and call them out to reach them their full, reach their full potential. For me, in my life, Kelly has always been this person, my wife. When I was at my lowest, after my divorce, believing I was completely disqualified from ever being used by God in ministry. It was Kelly and a group of friends who stepped into my life and said, no, 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 God's not done with you yet. There's a call of God on your life. And I wasn't even living for God at the time. I was angry with God for allowing everything to happen that happened in my life. And I wasn't living for God. I was self-medicating and trying to numb the pain. But there were people who who didn't call out my failures. They saw the potential in me and they prayed for me and they called it out. And guess what happened? It made me want to live up to that. Choose friends who will empower you to reach your full potential in Christ. God wants us to be that for each other. You can do that this week for a teenager who I'm sure would appreciate it as they've stepped back into school. You can do that this week for a child. You can do that this week for a classmate or a coworker. Listen, encouragement is free. It doesn't cost you a penny to encourage somebody and be nice to them. Listen, even more than I want to be a great communicator and encourage you every week with the messages that I preach, I want to be somebody who Monday through Saturday sees the everyday opportunities, the everyday encounters I have to just love the people that God's put in front of me. I want every person that I encounter to leave encouraged. I want to be somebody who says, hey, man, God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. Your, your heavenly Father loves you. Your best days are in front of you. You've got what it takes. I want every person to leave me feeling built up and like, yeah, I can do it. Because, man, the world is constantly bombarding them with messages of like, you're a failure, you're a loser, you don't have what it takes, you're never going to amount to anything. It's we as believers in Jesus who need to come alongside of people and speak life to them and encourage them, believe in them before anybody else does. Empower them to reach their full potential. I wanna be a Barnabas who changed the course of Paul's destiny, literally. And listen to me, you might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Think about that. You might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. Barnabas was the guy that unlocked Paul's potential. Paul's ministry took off after Barnabas invited him to Antioch. He would then go on three different missionary journeys over the next 30 years, impacting not just the people that he preached to, but in the 2,000 years that have elapsed since, how many billions of people have given their lives to Jesus because of sermons that have been preached out of Paul's letters. Barnabas was the guy that unlocked Paul's potential, and you might be one friend away, From changing the course of your destiny. And what we see in Jerusalem and in Antioch and in pretty much all the places that Paul traveled to, a lot of people came to know Christ and a lot of people tried to kill Paul. It was, they either loved him or they hated him. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times, right? Every time the church grew, opposition came. Persecution came. And isn't that a lot like life? Where we've got joy and pain a lot of times hand in hand at the same time. Any woman who's ever given birth knows exactly what I'm talking about. There is intense pain bringing that baby into this world while simultaneously experiencing unspeakable joy. And some of you in this room today are frustrated because you're, you're going through a trial or a test and you're experiencing opposition at the same time that you feel joy and you're wondering how long is the, is the, is the opposition going to last? What if the opposition is just a sign that you're doing something right? What if what you're going through is just a sign that you're actually following Jesus we got to remember, church, that God never promised us a pain-free, storm-free life. Anybody, any preacher who tells you that is preaching a false gospel. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. He never promised us that we wouldn't go through stuff, but he did promise us that he would be our refuge in the storm. He promised that he would be our ever-present help in times of trouble. He promised that he would never leave us and never forsake us. You guys, the stuff that we go through, the storms, the trials, the tribulations are the very things that produce the character and the perseverance and the faith in us that we need to fulfill the call of God on our life, to accomplish the works that God's planned in advance for us to do. So instead of wishing the hard season away, why don't you ask God, hey, what are you trying to do in me? What do I need to learn in the season so I'm better prepared and equipped to step into the next season? So we get to Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas are traveling city to city, preaching the gospel, his first missionary journey, all right? A lot of people are coming to Christ, but a lot of people, just like everywhere he goes, are getting angry. And in Acts 13, verse 50, the Jewish leaders stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So what did they do? They shook the dust off their feet. Everyone say, shake it off. Say, shake, shake, shake it off. (laughs) Some of y'all need to get Taylor Swift with this. They shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. They went to the next city and just continued on their travels. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Paul and Barnabas shook the dust off their feet and moved on to the next city. Can I just be honest with you guys? Some of y'all need to stop whining and crying when people oppose you and reject you. I got news for you. Not everybody's gonna like you. Get over it. Not everybody's gonna wanna hear about your Jesus. Not everybody listened to Jesus. Not everybody listened to Paul. And some people are going to revile you and reject you. And you need to stop carrying the dust of their hurt and their offense and their betrayal against you. Shake the dust off your feet and move on to the next place where there's more people who need to hear about the message of Jesus that you have. You don't need to post on social media about how mean people are and how you're unfriending them and people are awful. Get over it. Shake the dust off. Forgive and move on. Don't let bitterness creep up in your heart because that's easy too. We can get cynical when we get hurt over and over again. People reject us. Listen, we got to have tough skin but a soft heart. If people reject us, you know what? God bless you. I'll pray for you. We move on. You don't need to waste time with toxic people in your life. Shake the dust off and keep going. Wherever Paul and Barnabas went, they faced opposition. They did the same thing. Shook the dust off, went on to the next place. We can learn a lot from that. Don't let the attacks of people stop you from the anointing that God wants to have on your life and from the impact He wants you to have in people's lives. Keep moving forward. Tough skin, soft heart. That's what Paul and Barnabas did. So then we fast forward one more chapter. They're continuing on their journey, going city to city. And this is where I want to finish today. Acts chapter 14, verse 8. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him. Saw that he had the faith to be healed, and so he called out, stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in their Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas, they called Zeus, and Paul, they called Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. See, they had never seen anything like this before. The power of God miraculously healed a man who had been born lame, never walked a day in his life. This guy gets up, is walking around, and they're like, oh my gosh, the gods have come down to us, and they wanted to offer sacrifices to them, thinking that they were gods. They idolized Paul and Barnabas. And I think... We can do the same sometimes even in the church, where we tend to idolize personalities that God uses in powerful ways. Oh, so-and-so is speaking at this conference. I got to go there because the power of God shows up when that person preaches. They're my favorite preacher. Oh, so-and-so is coming to the city. I got to go because they operate in the gift of healing. They're a healer. Hold on a second. No, they're not. Jesus is the healer. They're just a vessel. We gotta stop idolizing personalities and get back to worshiping Jesus. He alone is the King. No preacher ever died for your sins, only Jesus did. No preacher can heal you, only Jesus can. It's kinda like when you order pizza for delivery. Yeah, I know it's a weird correlation, but I think about food a lot, so <laughs> that's just where my mind goes. When you order pizza and the delivery man shows up, what does he give you? A box right? We don't love the box. The box is just a vessel. We open the box up and we get to eat the awesome pizza and adjust it. You guys, I'm just a box. I'm just a vessel. Jesus is the bread of life. My job as your pastor is just to give you what God shows me through his word so that I can equip you and empower you and release you to be all that God has called you to be and to do all that God has called you to do. Let's stop idolizing personalities and start worshiping Jesus. So these people are trying to make sacrifices to Paul and Barnabas. And in verse 14, when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes, rushed out into the crowd shouting, stop it, friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human just like you. We're bringing you the good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the seas and everything in them. And in verse 18, even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Now look at what happens in the next verse. This is fascinating to me. Verse 19, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. And what did they do? They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. What the what? Like, what just happened? In one verse, they're literally worshiping them, wanting to offer sacrifices to them because they think they're a God. And in the very next verse, they're trying to kill them. Isn't it interesting that the same people who exaggerate your successes can turn in an instant and assassinate your character? That's why I'm so careful when people are over the top in their compliments of me. Because number one, I'm only human and you don't know everything. And number two, I can't live by your compliments. Because when you live for the compliments of others, you will die by their criticism. We have got to get back to our foundation of understanding where our worth and our identity comes from. Listen, I am not valuable because you like me. I am not valuable because I get likes or comments on a post on social media. I am valuable because my heavenly father so badly wanted a relationship with me that he sent his only son to die for my sins and the worth and value of a person is determined by the price that someone is willing to pay and our father was willing to pay the ultimate price by sending Jesus to die for our sins so that we could be restored to a relationship with our heavenly father. So I don't care what y'all think of me because I know that my father loves me and he approves of me. Be careful when you've got crazy fans and people singing your praises if they don't know you that well because the same people that exaggerate your successes can turn around in an instant stab you in the back, assassinate your character. Look at verse 19 again. They stoned Paul, dragged him outside the city thinking he was dead. Thinking he was dead. He looked dead. And some of you in this room might have some things in your life that that look dead. Maybe your marriage looks dead. Maybe your future looks dead. Maybe your hopes and dreams are on life support. Maybe your joy is dead. Maybe you're going through a trial or a test and you feel like God has abandoned you. Maybe you've not been literally stoned by people, but the stones of accusation and criticism and judgment have been thrown at you, and it has landed, it has hit you, it has knocked you down, and you feel dead on the inside. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, thinking he was dead. But in verse 20, but after the disciples gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city, and the next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby, the next city where they would preach the gospel. After the disciples gathered around him, he got up. It looked like Paul was dead. He had probably gotten hit in the head with a stone and was knocked out, knocked unconscious, right? But the disciples gathered around him. You guys, there is power when faith-filled, spirit-filled believers will gather around somebody who's knocked down, knocked out, and they start praying, and Jesus says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. When the disciples gathered around him, he got up. Let me ask you a question. When you're under attack, who's got your back? When the stones of criticism and trial and tragedy are are being hurled at you and you're knocked down, when you're under attack, who's got your back? Do you have believers in your life that will gather around you to support you and encourage you and pray for you? I wanna tell you something, that no matter what the enemy's done, To knock you down and knock you out, you are not defeated. If you are still breath in your lungs, there is still hope for your future. God's not done with you yet. You might feel discouraged. You might feel anxious about the future. You might feel defeated. You might feel like your faith is deflated. But God's got a comeback for you. He wants to fill you with power. He wants to fill you with his spirit so that you can get up and do the things that he has planned in advance for you to do. But oftentimes, the way he raises us up is by surrounding us with other believers who can come alongside of us and surround us and encourage us and pray for us when we're down. But can I tell you something? the hardest time to try and find a group of people like this who will surround you and have your back when you're under attack, the hardest time to find those people is when you desperately need it. If you wait until you're in a moment of desperation where you need those people to surround you, it's too late because they're not going to be there. Which is why we need to pursue those kind of life-giving relationships now before we're in desperate need of it. The truth is, you're just one phone call away from your, your world kind of falling apart. You're one phone call away from the floor falling out from beneath you. None of us are exempt from trial or tragedy, right? I've heard it said that, I mean, life is cyclical, right? So you're either about to go into a trial or you're in the middle of a trial right now Or you're just coming out of a trial. But one way or another, you're either going into or coming out of a trial. But we're all going to face stuff in this life. And when the tough stuff comes, who has your back when you're under attack? Who is surrounding you, praying for you, encouraging you when the stones start flying? Do you have friends like that? Because I do. I'm grateful for my life group. Those of you that are newer to the church may not know, but last summer... I spent three weeks in the hospital, spent six weeks after that recovering from what was supposed to be a 24-hour stay-in-the-hospital routine laparoscopic appendectomy that resulted in some infection developing in my abdomen and my intestines that I had to have another surgery a week later where they wound up taking out some of my small intestine. And it looked bleak. I was literally not sure if I was going to live or die. I was knocked down. Knocked out. And in the time that I was in the hospital, my wife and we have two boys. And so she obviously would want to come visit me. It was, you know, COVID restrictions were crazy. So she couldn't bring the boys and there were limited hours that she could come. So every day she was trying to find people that would watch our boys for us so that she could spend some time with me in the hospital. Every day it was a different family, different person watching our boys so she could come. And one day she was running a little bit late, you know, wanting to get out of the house. And one of our boys yells from the upstairs bathroom, mom, mom. I plugged the toilet and she's like oh i don't have time for this like she said just leave it there i'll deal with it when i get back and when i say like he plugged the toilet like it filled to the brim and there was stuff all up in it like plastered to the sides of the bowl like you get the visual like it was gross sorry if i'm talking about poopy toilets on sunday morning she's like just leave it we gotta go so they leave it. The house has been a disaster because like when I went to the hospital, life just stopped. Like there was no time to do anything else. And so she takes the boys, drops them off at someone's house, comes to spend some time with me in the hospital. She gets, you know, goes to pick up the boys when she leaves, gets home to find our small group, our life group, cleaning our entire house. They did our laundry, They folded the laundry, they put up the pool. We have an Intex pool in our backyard. They put that up so the boys could still have a summer and enjoy swimming. And one of the women in our small group came out of the upstairs bathroom. And the horror and embarrassment that Kelly felt in that moment was like, oh my gosh, you just saw the plug toilet. Like she literally unplugged the toilet, cleaned it. It looked spick and span brand new. We had people who, when I was down and out, when my family was down and out, surrounded us, gathered around us, and prayed for us and showed us what it looks like to be loved by other believers in faith. I want that for you. Do you have people who will surround you when you're down and out? When you get knocked down? Because here's the truth, guys. It is impossible to live the right life when you have the wrong friends. It's impossible to live right if you have the wrong kind of friends. Students, it's impossible for you to be the light that Jesus has called you to be on your school campus. If you don't have friends that will encourage you and challenge you and call you higher and call out your potential. If your friends are always like kind of making fun of you and, you know, like why you go to church all the time. You don't need to go to youth group. Come to the party with us this week. Let's get drunk. Check out this hot girl. Like if those are the kind of things your friends are encouraging you to do, they're not your real friends. There's two things I won't let my friends do in my life. Number one is distract me from God's plan. Number two is continually tempt me to sin. My life is too short and my calling too great to waste time with so-called friends who are going to distract me from the very things that God has put me on this planet to do or are going to try to get me to do something that would disqualify me from being used by God in a vocational ministry purpose. There's one thing I'm never going to stop doing in my life. That's preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and loving people with the unconditional love of Christ. You know, earlier I said that you might be one friend away from changing the course of your destiny. But the truth is that for some of you here in this room or watching online, you might actually be one community of friends away from changing the course of your destiny. See, Paul's destiny could have looked very different if those believers didn't gather around him. When he came to, when he regained consciousness, if he came to and he was alone, I wonder if his mindset is different. I wonder if he's like, you know what? This isn't worth it. I'm literally being stoned. I'm not going to lose my life over this. I'm done. I'm out. I'm going back to Tarsus. But no, when he came to, he was surrounded by a group of believers who were praying for him saying, oh my gosh, Paul, we're so glad you're okay. Paul, you're not dead. So God's not done. Paul, God's got more for you to do. And so what did he do? He got up and went right back to the city that just stoned him. Almost as if to say, you know what, you guys, you failed. I'm still alive. And he dusted his feet off and went on to the next city. You might be one community away from changing the course of your destiny. If you're going to fulfill the call that God has on your life, whether it be at work, at school, on the football field, wherever you go, you're going to need a community of people. You're going to need a group of friends that will surround you and encourage you and love you and pray for you which is why we here at Life Church Buffalo so strongly emphasize that everyone get connected into community and join a life group. We're in the middle of our fall life groups launch. If you came in the front door, no doubt you saw the table set up with all the balloons. If you came in the lobby here on the side, then hopefully you received one of these brochures, which is really a listing of the 37 groups that we have that we're launching this fall, you know, in seven different categories. And here's the thing, you guys, Like, I recognize that it's not convenient to take a night out of the week and go to somebody's house and, and, and talk about the Bible, or we have different types of groups and for everyone, but the reason that I believe that every believer, if it's at all possible, needs to prioritize and pursue relationships with other people in the context of a life group is because I believe a life group is the optimal environment for sustained life change. I really do. It's not perfect and it's messy at times. I love what God does in here on Sunday mornings. I love when I see hands go up in response to the invitation, people saying yes to a relationship with Jesus. But that's almost just like the defibrillator kind of being shocked to a person. They're coming back to life. But sustained life change, real discipleship, real growth happens when we get into the nitty gritty, when the rubber meets the road and we're, we're doing life with other people who see us at our worst and can help encourage us when, our, when we're down and celebrate the highs with us. Listen, it's when you pursue those relationships that you have the opportunity to really experience authentic community, which I define as accountability, belonging, and care, and spiritual growth, which I define as intimacy with God, community with insiders, and influence with outsiders. The three vital relationships. That's where we grow in our faith. And so I want to encourage everyone here today, if you are not in a life group, to don't leave today before stopping out in the foyer, talking to some of our life group leaders. They're all wearing olive green belong and become t-shirts. Scan the you know, list of groups that are available. There's a QR code on the back of this that you can hold your camera app over it. A link should pop up. Just tap the link and it will show you a listing of all the groups. There's QR codes on the seven different placards that are out in the foyer, which represent the seven different types or, or, or categories of groups. We've got men groups, women groups, co-ed, unique groups, support groups. Like there's something for everyone. Find one that fits your schedule. A night of the week that you're available with a group of people that you wanna do life with and get connected, because here's the thing, these types of relationships, they're not gonna chase you down and it's not gonna fall into your lap. You're gonna have to be intentional about pursuing it and it's gonna take vulnerability, it's gonna take risk, it's gonna take you stepping outside your comfort zone. And yeah, it might be a little awkward, but listen, as I always say, growth begins at the end of our comfort zone. The risk is worth it, you guys. You might be one community away, one life group away from changing the course of your destiny and from fulfilling the purposes of God in your life. Because for Paul, whether it was Barnabas, or Luke, or Phoebe, or Timothy, or Silas, or Lydia, or Epaphras, or Priscilla and Aquila, or many others that he lists in his letters, he had a circle of friends that helped him fulfill his calling. You're one community away, one life group away from changing the course of your destiny. And listen, isn't that what Jesus has called us to do anyway? The night before Jesus would go to the cross, he shared one final meal with his disciples. And John 13 through 17 describes what was talked about at that meal. And in John 13, verse 33 and 30, no, 34 and 35, Jesus says this to them and to us, a new commandment I give you that you love one another and they would have been like, well, that's not new, that's in the Old Testament. And Jesus would have been like, I'm not through. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. He raised the bar and then he says, by this, by you loving people the same way that I've loved you, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. Who in your world needs to know who Jesus is maybe they're waiting for you to take a step outside your comfort zone so that you can be in relationships with others where you're modeling and demonstrating what it looks like to love other people the same way Jesus has loved you let me pray for us today God I thank you for the Barnabases in our lives I thank you for the Barnabas in Paul's life God who literally launched him into a life of fruitful ministry who believed in him before anybody else did, who empowered him to reach his full potential. And I just feel this morning like I want to be a Barnabas to some of you here today. I want to encourage you. Some of you are knocked down. Some of you have been hit by, I don't know, stones of, of judgment, criticism, failure. I don't know what has got you knocked down. But listen, there is a call of God on your life and it's bigger than you and it's bigger than the discouragement that you're facing right now. And I'm here to tell you that God is not done with you yet. Your best days are still in front of you. You have what it takes to do everything that God has put you on this planet to do. But God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would fill your people with courage to step outside their comfort zone and start pursuing the kind of relationships with friends that are gonna surround them and encourage them and support them, that are gonna believe in them even if nobody else does, that are gonna empower them to reach their full potential. God, I pray that there would be friendships birthed out of these new life groups, friendships that unlock the course of people's purpose and calling and destiny. That there would be little communities within the larger community of Life Church Buffalo that are modeling what it looks like to love one another as you have loved us. And when this happens, West Seneca and Buffalo and Western New York is going to know who we are because we're modeling the kind of love that Jesus gave to us. God, would you change our lives? Would you change our church? Would you change our city? And it will happen when we love each other the same way you have loved us. God, I pray for all the life group leaders. Thank you for their courage to step out and, and do something new. I pray for the the the, the groups that are going to be launched, the people that are going to join these life groups, I pray that they would be safe and healthy environments where people can really experience what it looks like to belong, to be accountable, to be cared for, and that they would really then begin to grow in their faith. They would really begin to understand what it looks like and what it means to follow Jesus and to let his kingdom, his word, influence every aspect of their life. Jesus, I thank you for this time in your presence. I thank you for the way that you are building your church. Thank you for the Barnabases in our life, Lord. May we be Barnabases to others. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen and amen. Church, are you encouraged this morning? I hope so. As our dream team members get into position to serve you with excellence on your way out, let me just remind you, if you're not in a life group that can change today, stop out in the foyer on your way out, talk to some of the life group leaders, find one that works for you, join a life group. If there's anything in your life that you need or want prayer for, we've got our prayer team available in the back. But I hope you guys have a great week. God bless. We'll see you next Sunday.